Um, turn this on would be a good idea because I might wander. <laughs> um, this week, uh, you need to know a little bit of background before I start talking to you, really. Um, about two or three weeks ago, um, there was on the service plan, which Ian had put forward, that this Sunday we should talk about Exodus. And I said to Andy, well, I, I quite fancy talking about Exodus, really. So I volunteered. <laughs> and uh, I, start, I read Exodus at least once or twice and, uh, to prepare. And uh, then I began to think, well, hang on a minute, I think I can actually give a better message from Philippians or Colossians. And I started getting in a bit of a muddle as to whether it should be Exodus or whether it should... So I phoned Andy up and said, do you mind if it's not Exodus? And she said, that's fine, that's fine. You know, you know do whatever you think God is asking you to do. So, in the sort of attitude of prayer, on Monday, we went to Thaldi Brennan. I don't know whether you've heard of the place... Um, it's a Christian retreat centre in the far west of Wales, quite some way away. I didn't realise how far Wales extended until it was 100 miles into Wales, and then another 120 whatever to Faldy Brennan. <laughs> and it's up a, a nice steep road. Faldy Brennan, um, actually, this symbol here that you can see here, the sheep, it means the sheepfold of the king. I think it's a lovely logo they've got, isn't it? With a sheep under the shepherd's crook. And that's what we are here this morning, the sheepfold of the king. And it's a really nice place. And we went there in this prayer attitude. I wanted to sort of hear an answer from God. What should I speak about? And this, I went with a certain person who will remain nameless. And uh, it's a nice garden, it's a nice place. It's got lovely views. It's at the top of a hill. Um, very peaceful, very restful. And so we just parked, and we just have a little wander around, have a tour of the place. And we parked next to this car. And we uh, were talking in the car, what should we speak about? And uh, I don't know whether you can see it there, but actually on the top of the roof box was... <laughs> now, there is a truth, I reckon, partly, that when you pray, coincidences happen more often than when, they, when you don't pray. I actually call the coincidence answers to prayer. But, you know, things, strange things like this happen sometimes because ultimately there isn't a book of Thule, which seems to be the main roof box people, or Halfords, but there is a book of Exodus. And so prepare to explore with me a little bit this morning the book of Exodus. How do you do that? I don't know. Well, let's have a try. If you like facts, these are a few basic facts. Um, for the sake of those who might listen to this online, if you're away, I'll read them out. I don't like reading slides, but I will read them out. They are part of the Pentateuch, is the Exodus, the first five books of the Bible. It begins, these are the names, and tells you the story of the slaves and how they were in Egypt. And it's the original Hebrew title. And our name comes from Exodus, the way out. The author is Moses. I'm afraid this is contested by several people, whether this could have been Moses, whether he wrote all five books of the Pentateuch, um, just as Shakespeare is supposed to have not written all his plays as well. You know, there's all this contention, but let's, you know, take it, you know, Jesus seemed to see it as from Moses, so I think that's good enough for me. It's about 13 to 1400 BC, so we're talking about three and a half years ago. Great stories. The place, mainly Egypt, and then into the Sinai Peninsula, 
and the key people are Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh. The structure of the book, there's 40 chapters, and it almost divides exactly in half. The first 18 chapters, you can see the people are uh, mobile, and uh, they, they leave Egypt and they go into the Sinai Desert. And then they get to the Mount Sinai, and they're largely stationary for the rest of the book. And the key themes in the beginning of the book, chapters 1 to 18, is God doing things. Yeah? God is a God of action. He does divine deeds. And it's amazing grace that they don't get the plagues, these Hebrews, that the Egyptians get. It's even more amazing that eventually they are let go by, by Pharaoh and are allowed to leave Egypt. And there's a redemption, that wonderful picture of the Passover, where the blood was put on the frame of the door so that the angel of death would pass over. And they were redeemed. They were paid a price. The lamb paid the price, and they were redeemed. In the second half, God is speaking a lot. There are divine words. There's quite a bit of gratitude about what's going on, but with some complaining as well. <laughs> there's quite a lot of law. Um, I won't be touching the law, you'll be pleased to know, um, because next week you have the pleasure of Martin, who's going to struggle with, <laughs> have a good go at Leviticus. <laughs> Leviticus. Um, so I won't touch anything on the law. And it's more about, those laws are more about right living and being righteous. One of the other ways of looking at Exodus, I believe, if you want to look at the whole book, is as though it's a parallel or a picture of the Christian journey. Because just as the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, we, before we became Christians, were slaves to sin. They were living in a foreign kingdom. We were living in the kingdom of darkness. God wanted them to be free and be his people. And that's exactly what God wants for each one of you in this room. He wants you to be free he wants you to be in relationship with him, and he wants him, you to be a child of God. And then there's the amazing grace of God, that Passover meal, where the angel of death passes over, and Christ died on the cross so that your sins could be dealt with and that you could know the grace of God. Soon after gaining freedom, where do they go? Through the Red Sea. And very soon, hopefully, if you have given your life to Christ, then you pass through the waters of baptism. And God's presence was with them. The, the cloud, a pillar of cloud was at front of them during the day and a pillar of fire at night. All the time, God was with them while they're on the move. And so God is with us now. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then there was God's provision. How do you survive in the wilderness? Yeah? And they had amazing things done for them, manna, quails, water, incredible. And they were heading towards the promised land. So, I want to do this morning a bit what they do at Godalming Food Festivals. You know what it's like, don't you? You go down the high street, if you've been. Anyone not been to a Godalming Food Festival? Oh dear, you've missed out in life. <laughs> well, you might have done a Guildford or another food festival, whatever it is. You go down the high street, and there are all these stalls selling stuff. And they have little plates with cocktail sticks. And you can have a little taste of the cheese. Oh, in the 
idea that you will actually go back and buy a nice big piece of cheese, or more cheese, or more gherkins, or whatever they're offering you. So that's what's going to happen this morning. I'm just going to dip in to a few places in Exodus and give you a little taste, a little tidbit, a little morsel. And your job is to be so enthralled by those <laughs> tidbits that you go away and read the whole book. <laughs> I'm afraid... No, I'm not afraid. I am just me, and I do things a certain way, and other people do things different ways. That's really great. I think it's fantastic. And so I actually do like to have a bit of structure. And so I also like alliteration. <laughs> that means the same letter. <laughs> yeah? A lot of pastors like that, I mean, sermons and all that. And so there are three letters I've got where I'm going to organise a few tidbits from Exodus. And the first one is... God's presence. We read it in the reading that Diane uh, read for us. Yeah, remember that. So I love that verse that sort of says, "If your presence will not go with us, do not send us up from here." Yeah, isn't that your heart? Don't. If you're not with me, Lord, I don't want to do this. If you're not with me, Lord, we don't want to go this way. Yeah, we so much need the Lord's presence. And there are some instances of that happening. The first one is the burning bush. Moses has uh, killed an Egyptian. He's been in the wilderness for 40 years. He's married Jethro's uh, daughter and had a child. And then after 40 years in the wilderness, he has his experience of seeing a bush burning but not being consumed. Piques his interest. And so he approaches and as he approaches, God says, Moses, Moses. And he says, here I am. And he says, this is a holy place. Take off your sandals. And it also says, Moses hid his face. You see, we have a holy God. I, I'm not disputing, as I've prayed already, God is a God of love, of compassion. But we do have a holy God. And we do need to appreciate that we need fear and awe and respect for him. Because he's a holy and a mighty God. But you think, well, if he's so holy, I can hardly go near him. Just again, as in the reading, you know, he had to put sort of Nick, poor old Moses, into a cleft in the rock, you know, because you can't see my face. It's that holy. But he says, Moses, Moses. And you are redeemed, how? By name. Yeah, you are saved by name. And it's a very personal place, this. And Moses says, well, if I go up and tell these people we're going to get out of Israel, who am I going to say sent me? Because God was just the Lord at that time. And he says those things, Yahweh, or as we sometimes say, Jehovah. Yeah? I am that I am, or I will be that what I will be. Another translation that I think David Pawson has used is the idea of always. You see, Jesus picked this up, doesn't he? Say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. Jesus says things like this in line with his divinity. And this is the essence of God. He says, I am that I am. I am always like this. And then he adds, 
other bits to it, doesn't he? He says, I'm Jehovah Jireh, always your provider. I'm always your helper. I'm always your healer. I'm always your protection. That's the sort of God we have, always with us. As Christine prayed, he never leaves us, nor forsakes us. I wonder why, when there's a job to be done, it's not always easy to get people to do them. Did you know God had the same problem? You see, he's got an idea. He wants to let the people go from Egypt. And what did he do? He wants Moses to do it. So he confronts him in the burning bush, gives him his presence, gives him experience, a theophany of God. And what does Moses say? Oh, oh no, I'm so weak and insignificant. I can't go. And then he says, I don't know anything. I've got nothing to say. And then his third excuse, I'm so impotent, I couldn't convince anybody that God's called me. And his next excuse, I can't speak. I'm no good at speaking. And finally he says, please God, send someone else. So many excuses. This isn't the first time, is it? Jeremiah has the same thing. I'm too young. You can think of all sorts of excuses. I'm too old. I'm too tired. I'm too... Whatever. You can think of all sorts of excuses. But all I'm saying, if God is calling you, your response should be one of obedience. Second thing I want to talk about briefly is the situation that we read about in in Exodus. And the encounter that Moses has up the mountain with God, of his presence. And in Ezekiel, sorry, Ezekiel, Exodus 34, 6 and 7, in this encounter with God, this is what the Lord says. He passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. What a fantastic God. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for their sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The other thing that happened to Moses, after he'd been with God, he came down the mountain, and he got a shiny face. I didn't think this was possible. I didn't, I've, I've not, well, how do you imagine it? Do you sort of imagine it with sort of some kind of bright sort of torch coming out? I don't know. Well, I can tell you, when I was at university, I came back from the summer vacation once, I met somebody else who was on my maths course. And he'd come to know the Lord over the summer vacation. And I'm not kidding, his name was Richard. His face shone. I almost wanted to give him what Moses had to put on a veil. Because he was so bright, he was shining for the Lord. His face shone. Now, just that's what we should be, is it not? full of joy, 
full of peace, full of love, just shining out. I think it's fantastic. And I, I've witnessed it, is all I can say. You know, you can argue me what it was. I, I, I don't know whether it's the same as what Moses' face was like. All I know is someone had an encounter with God and their face shone. And the other thing I want to say is that um, when we are in God's presence, God's presence changes us. Because the veiling is referred to in 2 Corinthians. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. One final thing. Reputation of NBC. What would you say the reputation of NBC was? Um, Basically... I think it was always that we are a very friendly church and that we love one another. I think perhaps that's got a bit tarnished, but I think it can be restored. But in a sort of, there's something else I would really much almost long for more, that this place and us as a people become known as a place where God's presence is that as we meet together, people walking in here know that God is alive, that God loves them, that God is real to each one of us, and God's presence dwells amongst us. Can we pray for that? Can we just pray for God's presence? Because I think it's so important. Love can cover a multitude of sins, but we cannot go anywhere without God's presence. I was going to also mention this. There's no time. Um, the tabernacle's in there. Go and look at it. It's just amazing. Yeah, can you see that you had an altar? You had to sacrifice. You then had a washing place. You had, then had the holy place. And over here was where God's presence really dwelt. The most holy place. What a paraphernalia to get to God. <laughs> All this thing had to happen, and once a year, as we know, the high priest was the only person allowed into the most holy place. After sacrifice, after washing. Now, sacrifice speaks of that sacrifice that Jesus has given on the cross. The water, I believe, as we're told in the scriptures, speak of the spirit that cleanses and empowers. And it moves into the presence of God. All I can say is it's a fantastic thing to think about. What's even more fantastic is now we have direct access by the blood of Christ into the most holy place, into the throne of grace. We can come before our Father and ask him for anything. You're going to have to speed up. (laughs) These other ones are a bit quicker. The next thing is power. God's power was very evident. You'll remember that in the uh, second half of the book, Um, sorry, first half of the book, there's a lot about divine deeds, God's inaction. The Exodus 5.22 says this. Oh, sorry, go back one step. First time Moses and Aaron go up to uh, speak to Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, hang on a minute, you're getting rid of my workers. I'm not having that. You're not going off worshipping in the desert. I'm going to make it harder for you. You're going to have to build bricks now without straw. So what do people do when that happens? They get a bit concerned, 
and they go to the leaders. And they go to Moses and say, Paul, ever since you went off to Pharaoh and asked him for our freedom, look what's happened. Things have got worse. And that's the context of this. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. I think a fair enough prayer myself, really, you know. God can handle complaints. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God's got a mighty hand. And here's some of the things. I think it's amazing, isn't it? Moses in the bulrushes. What a terrific thing to happen. He gets picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh. She, um, his sister of the baby, his, Moses' sister, says, would you like someone to look after him? Says to her mother. And then the Pharaoh's daughter says, I'll pay you to look after Moses. Child benefit, back in Exodus 3. You see, so they got child benefit, his own mother bringing him up, and then he gets taken away to the palace, he gets a fantastic education, he gets fantastic riches, he gets wonderful clothes, and he gets prepared for writing the law, I reckon. Yeah? What a fantastic, mighty work of God. Not just rescuing someone out of the water, but doing far greater. Then there's the burning bush. I won't say anything about that. You've seen that. Then there are signs from Moses. When he says, I'll go off and tell them, he says, well, how will they know whether it's from you? He says, well, I've got signs. Throw down his staff, becomes a snake. Picks up the snake, becomes a staff. Well, it's a bit of a party trick, isn't it? It's a bit of a magician trick. And in fact, when that happened in front of Pharaoh, the Egyptian magicians were able to do the same. But... Then Aaron's staff ate up all the other snakes. <laughs> God is far greater than any party trick. And then there are the ten plagues. They're a bit hard to deal with, I reckon, the ten plagues. Um, because in the ten plagues, although the initial, initially the magicians were able to copy them, they couldn't do it later on, God's power was at work. But we read in the ten plagues that those two phrases, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Is that fair? Did Pharaoh have no choice? Well, you also read in Exodus, in other parts of the plagues, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And I just think it's like that. They go together, don't they? Yeah? If we resist God, if we harden our heart towards people, if we harden our heart towards God... God almost sort of lets you get away with it and says, okay, fine. If that's what you really want, that's that's what's going to happen to your heart. It's going to be hardened rather than softened. Then there's the crossing of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. All I say about that really is that the pillar of cloud moved behind to give them protection. All that Moses had to do was lift up his hand and now, if you lift up your hands now, go and all lift up your hand. Right? Why isn't there an east wind blowing through this church? <laughs> okay? Because it's not the right time. And God hasn't told you to raise the hand. It's some silly person up here. Yeah? But God told Moses, lift up your hand. 
And what happened? An amazing east wind blew, drew up, dried up the land, and the tide probably went out. It's probably quite a natural thing because it's quite a shallow marshy area, the Sea of Reeds. But then, of course, the water went back, didn't it, as well? Coincidence again? No. God at work again. God exercising his power. And look at the amazing provision. God is able to meet all your needs as he met the needs of the people of Israel. Do you really believe that? Have you got any needs at the moment? Health, finance, relationships? Are there any needs you've got? Well, our God is mighty and powerful and promises to meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. During the Yom Kippur War of 1973, the Egyptian army gave up after three days because they couldn't stand the desert. This is the people of Israel. It says in Exodus 600,000, plus others, plus others. They reckon it was over 2 million, plus livestock, in a desert. And they survived for 40 years. And their sandals didn't wear out. Just a little footnote. <laughs> didn't mean that. They were not always happy with God's answer, though, were they? They got manna, we want meat, they've got quails, they got them so, so deep, got sick of them. And another thing you do when, when God provides, um, you don't always follow God's instructions, or they didn't anyway. They were told not to bother to keep the manna overnight, and some of them did, and it went maggoty and mouldy. Finally, prayer. There's a fantastic story in Exodus where the Amalekites at Rephidim come and attack the people of Israel. And Moses very practically says to Joshua, he says, take some of the men down with you. And you actually read earlier in Exodus that they were prepared for battle. And he says, okay, take them down and fight the Amalekites. I'm going to go on the mountain above and I'm going to lift up my hands. You've got to realise, of course, here that Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. So, you know, if you're getting on a little bit, don't need to worry about it. And Moses lifted up his hands. Don't know how long the battle was, we're not told. But there are two stories. Joshua defeated the Amalekites on the ground. True. The victory was won by Moses on the mountain. True. Which one was it? It was both, wasn't it? It was both. It was prayer and action. And then he needed the help of Aaron and her because it says, as his hands dropped, and I'm sure if you hold your hands up that long, you know, even if you're young, they'd start dropping. As they dropped, the Amalekites prevailed. As Aaron and her lifted them up, what happened? the Israelites prevailed. And such a win. Prayer with one another. It's great to pray on your own, but it's great to be supported by other people's prayers, and it's great to support one another in prayer. There is amazing power in praying together. 
You need to know about the rebellion and the golden calf. If you don't know the story, quite simply, Moses was up the mountain too long. And while he was up the mountain, they got very impatient. Where is that guy, Moses? And seen him for a long while. He's in the presence of God getting the law, but that's by the by. And so what do they do? They go to Aaron and says, Ah, oh, this guy Moses, he's yesterday's man. We want the proper gods that are going to take us on. So Aaron gets all the gold that had come from the Egyptians, melts it down, pops out, out pops a golden calf, according to Aaron. Out pops a golden calf. And then Moses comes down. There are two instances here. The first instance is that Moses intercedes for the people. And he intercedes on two occasions. While they're building the golden calf, he, God says, these people are rebelling against me. They're not going to be obedient. I want to destroy them. Moses says, God, God, don't destroy them. I plead for these people. Please forget that they are stiff-necked people. Forgive them. Don't destroy them. And it says that God relented. I don't understand that. Do you all the time? It doesn't, isn't Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever? Does God never change? Yet God relented. It seems as though by interceding for the people, God's mind was changed. I don't understand that, right? All I do know is that when we pray on behalf of others, change happens and things that were going to happen may not happen to them. That's what happens. And then there was a second chance, and I believe this is something that uh, Paul also wrote about. His heart concern for the church was so great, and his heart concern for the people of Israel was so great. He says, if you, these not people are going to be saved, blot me out of your book of life, because when you come to know Jesus, your name is entered on the book of life. And Moses, when he's back up the mountain, says, please forgive them, Lord, and if you won't, just forget about my name being in the book. How much do we love each other? The target God sets us is this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's the target. That's the goal. The extent of our love is so great that we're prepared to sacrifice our lives for the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you. That's the goal. That's the target. That's what Jesus did he laid down his life and he asks us to do the same. I'm not going to talk about these. I'm just going to whip up the slide and, and read them, right? I haven't got time. <laughs> the amazing thing, and I've already said it, I think, is we have direct access into the most holy place. Isn't that fantastic? If you know Jesus, you can access God the Father, the holy God, Direct, you need nothing else. 
You can bring nothing in your hand, you can do nothing, you can pay nothing, you can think nothing, you can experience nothing. But you can enter the very presence of God and I just long for the presence of God in this church. And we need to seek him with all our heart, don't we? If you read the passage in Jeremiah 29 there, it's the one about, I know I have plans for you. What does he have plans for? A hope and a future. So if you think this place is hopeless and futureless, you are wrong. Because God says, I know I have plans for you, a hope and a future. And he's one condition of that happening is if you will seek me with all your heart. I've heard several people say to me, we know we need to grow this church. I've got some bad news for you. We can't grow this church. Hang on a minute, you just said we've got hope in the future. Only God gives growth. Only God's power changes lives. Only God can bring people to be born again. Only God can fill people with the Holy Spirit. Only God can give you power to do what he calls you to do. Only God knows you by name and knows your innermost being. Only God can forgive your sins. Only God can give growth. But, and there's a but, we can do our part, can't we? We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to begin to move in the lives of our friends and family and others we meet. We need to sow the seed of the word of God. We need to continue to water it. Frankly, I am not content simply to see more people join us here on a Sunday morning. I'm looking for this place to be filled with disciples of Christ who want to follow him as their Lord, who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, worship him in spirit and truth. In short, I long for people to encounter God and know they've met with God because God is alive and we want to seek him and we want to dwell in his presence. And prayer... I don't know what your enemies are, but they get defeated by prayer and action. The verse in Nehemiah, we've been through Nehemiah recently, and uh, the story there is quite simply that they were, had enemies, didn't they? They had Sambalat and Tobiah. And what did they do? They were trying to rebuild the wall. And it says in uh, Jeremiah, four, sorry, Nehemiah 4.9, but... There's always buts, aren't there? There's lots of buts in scripture. But despite the situation, despite having enemies, despite being opposed, despite being in trouble, despite everything going wrong, but we prayed to our God, sorry, and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. We did a prayer and we acted. And finally, I've read the verse in Isaiah 56, verse 7. How I long for this church to be a house of prayer for all nations. For MFA, for the world, for this village, for the village that you live in. That we are praying for change, for God to move 
in revival, for people to know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We need to pray and pray and pray. You'll probably know the other verse, won't you? The context of the other verse there, 2 Chronicles 7, probably the most famous verse around about prayer. But it's in the context of Solomon when, not if, when there are locusts, when things are bad, not if, when things are bad, when things are difficult, in that context, this is God's clear instruction to Solomon. If my people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Some promises from God are unconditional. Yeah? But some are conditional. And this is one of the conditional ones. Yeah? Hopefully, I've given you a taste of a brilliant book. There's some fantastic stories of the presence of God, the power of God, and prayer. Every time at the end of the plague, Moses has to pray to God to get it away. <laughs> Yet prayer is throughout the book, the presence of God is about, and the power of God. Three Ps I want here. I want in my life. I want in your lives. I want in this church's life. Let's pray.